God caused me to be born again in 1975. In the night, he spoke to me by his spirit and said, Joan, you know these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. Sins, I said. I thought they were mistakes. But I agreed with God, and I was born again. A few nights after I was born again, God transported me into heaven. I was at that time with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. I saw no images. It was just in the Spirit. At that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God. God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. A few nights later, after the first happening, the exact same thing happened to me a second time. I had no idea what this meant. I really thought at the time that this happened to every Christian. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine. He's about 10 years younger than I. Bill had been a Catholic and then was born again and went to some non-denominational church. He was like, in character, a St. Bernard puppy. He was so happy and bubbly and big, big guy. We were eating breakfast together, and Bill was just shoveling his food into his mouth. And I said to him, oh, by the way, Bill, after he was born again, all he talked about was being a Christian. I really thought Bill was a little crazy. I had been baptized when I was 15, but... Bill just really seemed strange to me. Then this happened to me, and everything looked different about Bill after that. So Bill's eating his breakfast, and I say to him, Bill, you are right. This thing of being a Christian is really great. What I like best is that thing that happens to you in the night. Bill continues shoveling the food in his mouth, and I say, he says, what thing? He doesn't even look up. And I said, oh, I don't know what it's called. It's when you are taken into heaven, and you are with God and with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, and at that time you are merged into the body of Jesus, but I don't know what it's called, and I notice that he has by now quit eating put his fork down and is staring at me with his mouth slightly open. That's my first clue that this is something a little unusual. Bill says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I don't know what it's called. And he said, have you told this to Donna, my best friend who was former Baptist? I said, I haven't told it to anybody. He said, well, you better tell Donna. So when I told Donna, she just sat and cried. She was always a little emotional. What did it mean? None of us knew. I didn't tell anyone but Bill and Donna. I just kept quiet about it. I didn't know what it meant. I had been reading a book somebody wrote about Exodus. And the author of that book said, Sometimes when you are called by God to do a work of God, there will be a special type happening in your life. But that, I thought about that, that maybe that was it, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. I went on and 
just did my things, which I owned a business at that time, ran my business, went to church, went to prayer group, went to Bible classes, read the Bible. I will say that after this happened to me, I was no longer interested in my business. All I cared about was Bible and things of God and church. The goal that I had for myself and my desire was to marry a minister, especially after being taken into heaven twice. I really wanted to marry a minister. That was my goal. That was not God's goal for me. I can't really remember asking God what he wanted. I just wanted what I wanted. Like a little child, wanting what he wants. I really wasn't thinking of serving God. I was more wanting God to serve me. <laughs> well, it doesn't work out like that. Fortunately, along the way, most of us get turned around so that we are recognized that it is our goal to serve God. It is not God's goal to serve us. Although he does serve us in a great many ways in keeping us from temptations and freeing us from sins and keeping us from committing sins. So there are many advantages along the way. But I don't think most of us start out as Christians thinking, oh, I get to serve God now. Uh, Paul might have. But us normal people probably don't. I certainly didn't. It took many decades before I gave up on this marriage business. Looking back on it, I can really see better. I can really see that the calling of God on my life, which finally began to be revealed, the calling on God of, on my life just would not have worked with me marrying. It wasn't going to happen. Rather quickly, I was taught by God about the work of prophets. He took me to all the Old Testament passages and I read them and understood the work. He helped me to understand the work of a prophet. Eventually, it became known to everybody, almost everybody in our church group probably, that I was a prophet. Because they saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in me, I had gone to a prayer group. I attended a little prayer group in our neighborhood and there were probably eight to ten women there each time we met. They were praying about something at one point in time, and I had my head bowed and also. And I heard, look up. When I looked up, I saw an outline on the wall of a part of the body, but I didn't know what part it was. And I said to God, I know that's a part of the body, but I don't know what part it is. And I heard stomach, and I said, oh, yeah, it's a stomach. I, I remembered the old Pepto-Bismol commercials of a stomach. After the women finished praying, I gathered enough courage to say, does anyone have a stomach problem? And one little woman jumped up and down and said, I do, I do. And I guess they prayed for her. Frankly, I was so excited over having been shown that word 
that I don't remember anything past that. Then this began happening all the time to me. I would be at our Bible class on Sunday mornings. They would be having their song service, and I would be seeing, be seeing these things on the wall, words of knowledge. That's how God showed it to me. He could show it to you another way. But this is a gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And, I, and, and our Bible teacher was pretty amazing in one way. He always said, does anyone have a word from the Lord? And then I and other people would present whatever we had. The door was open at that class to present the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was never opened in the 11 o'clock service. Never once at an 11 o'clock service was I shown a word of knowledge. I think because there was no not going to be any opportunity to present the word of knowledge at the 11 o'clock service. It was pretty much closed to the Holy Spirit. But the Bible class wasn't. The prayer group was open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We could share them there. So I was trained in those two places, in the Bible class and in the prayer group. And I suppose that's the first time I maybe recognized that I was serving God instead of Him serving me. I had not been raised in a church group. My mother and Dad didn't go to church, and we didn't have Bibles at the house. Except when I was five years old, one of my relatives gave me a Bible for my birthday, and I would get under the covers and read it at night with a flashlight. But my aunt, my favorite aunt, was a Church of Christ member. So when we visited the city where she lived, I would go to church with her. So most of the doctrine that I learned at that time was probably learned in that church group, except God taught me in private all the time as a child. But the one thing I did learn in that church group is that women could not speak in the church. <laughs> so here I am put in the position of being an apostle prophet and can't speak in the church. I told God rather early, I cannot speak in the church. I wouldn't even pray with a man in the room. At my business, after I was born again, I would have young men come from Dallas Theological Seminary and teach us Bible classes at the noontime hour once a week at my business. Anyone could come to it that wanted to. So we had Bible classes at my shop. One day the young man from the seminary said, Joan, would you lead us in prayer? And I said, I can't do that with a man in the room. He said, you can't? And I said, no. So he prayed. See, my teaching that I picked up from Church of Christ was very strong on this thing of let your women keep silence in the churches. Now, in no way am I going to dif dispute what Paul said. I thoroughly agree with Paul. I turned to God with this problem, and I said, well, what about this? I was taken to 1 Corinthians 14, where it says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them, 
to speak, for they must be under the law. And if any one of them has a question, let him ask her husband at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. I believed it. I still believe it for this reason. I think these women, God got my attention on what these women were doing at that church service. I believe they were interrupting the church service asking questions. Because Paul said, it, and if you will learn anything, ask your husbands at home. So I believe that was part of the thing. Then God took me to Acts 21 to show me Philip the evangelist. He had four daughters who prophesied. Prophecy is for the church. I knew that from my Old Testament readings. God said to Ezekiel, I send you to the children of Israel. I don't send you to strangers. If I sent you to strangers, they would listen to you, but the children of Israel will not listen to you because they won't listen to me. They are impudent and hard-hearted. But he sent the prophet to the children of Israel. And I knew prophets were sent to the church, not to the world. So here's Philip with four daughters who did prophesy. They had to be able to speak at church to prophesy. By that, God persuaded me to speak these words of knowledge at the church group. But not to interrupt the church group. I would never do that. The opening had to be there to properly speak them. It had to be done decently and in order. And our teacher always did that. He always invited us to present a word from the Lord. So it was always done properly. Never have I interrupted a teacher or anyone at the gathering of the church to present a word from God. I, I just can't picture doing that. At one point in time, uh, in the early years when I ran my business and after I had become a Christian, I had read the things that women do. They care for their children. They care for their husbands. They teach their children to love their fathers. They teach other women to love their husbands. I literally cried when I read that. I said to God, there is nothing for me to do in the church. Nothing. Now, I'd already been taken into heaven twice when I went through this. And then I kind of sobered up from crying, and I said, well, I have a business that makes money, so my role in the church will be to give money to the church. And I really believed that. What I would do would be make money and give it to various preachers. Wouldn't they love that? But God had another plan for me. He disclosed to me after I began receiving all these gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, he disclosed to me that I was a prophet, a New Testament prophet. Yes, there are prophets today. Ephesians chapter 4, after Jesus arose, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. Yes, we do have apostles and prophets in the church today. Paul was not the last apostle. Matthias was the last of the 12 apostles in Acts 1. Paul was more like the first of these New Testament apostles, for he didn't know Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. It wasn't until the road to Damascus that Paul, Jesus was revealed to Paul. He was like we are. So I always think of Paul as being one of the first of these New Testament apostles. Humans tried to remove apostles and prophets from the churches. God did not remove apostles and prophets from the New Testament church. We still operate in the New Testament church. Although many prophets do not know their prophets, I'm firmly convinced of this, that they will be in their church and things will go wrong and they know they're going wrong and everybody else thinks they're wonderful. I'm firmly convinced there are prophets everywhere. It's not unusual for people to be prophets. I know, I just know that's true. Apostles work with scripture and try to keep doctrine straight. You can't work today inside the church as they used to work. You pretty much have to do it outside. Either they will kill you or run you out of the church group. One time I went to a little Church of Christ Sunday school class. The pastor began speaking, and every and we were free in that class to speak. It was much more like it's supposed to be in the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. It was supposed to be open for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak through whomever ever God willed. It has been shut up today so that in the 11 o'clock service, I've never seen that done. I've seen a platform with approved men sitting on the platform. But in the Sunday school classes, sometimes it's closer to this description in 1 Corinthians 14 of what the church is supposed to be. Even at the Church of Christ, as close as it is, here's this pastor saying, allowing a woman to speak at the Sunday school class. You weren't prohibited from speaking. Anyway, the first thing he told me is he was not called a pastor. And I said, you're not? What are you called? And he said, minister. Well, that's a dumb doctrine. That's just one added by man, another one of their idols that they set up in the churches because Ephesians 4, after Jesus arose, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So there is absolutely no reason to fail to call a pastor a pastor. There are many strange doctrines in the churches today set up by man, doctrines set up by man that are not in the Bible. Anyway, at this little Church of Christ meeting, Sunday school class, the pastor asked a question. He said, 
did Noah really condemn the world? And I said, yes. They all looked shocked. I assume they all knew this was a rhetorical question, which was not to be answered. They knew the answer that the pastor was teaching that Noah did not condemn the world. And here this stranger comes in their midst and says, yes, Noah condemned the world. And I just simply said, he condemned the world because he believed God and followed God, and by that the world was condemned. I simply spoke Hebrews chapter 11 about Noah. Let's look at that. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah condemned the world by building the ark because building the ark showed he believed God. So yes, he condemned the world just like it says he condemned the world. Well, after I said that, nobody wanted anything to do with me at that church group. So after the Sunday school class, I left and never tried to go back. Along the way, as the years progressed, I learned a very important principle. It isn't what I want, but rather what God wants done. I really learned to pray what Jesus said, Thy will be done. Jesus didn't want to die on a cross. He prayed three times for this cup to be removed from him. I wanted to marry a minister. Well, it wasn't going to happen because I was going to be a minister in the offices of Apostle Prophet. But I had, I eventually came to the point of giving up on this marriage business and saying, all right, not my will, but thy will be done. One day I'm driving along the road and I hear, from the Holy Spirit, I have called you and set you in the body of Christ as an apostle. I screamed out, Apostle? What's an apostle? I knew I was a prophet. Everybody knew I was a prophet. But I'm also an apostle. Now, what does an apostle do? Well, I had no idea. I went to our Bible teacher at Word of Faith, Robert Tilton's church at that time, and I asked him, they, they taught that there are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I knew some of the prophets, but I'd never heard anybody identify himself as an apostle. And I had no idea what they did. I asked our Bible teacher, and he said, I don't know. When I said, who are the apostles at our church? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, what do they do? What are they supposed to do? And he said, I don't know. Well, then I just turned to God and asked him what apostles do. He basically showed me that apostles deal with church doctrine. 
Today we don't we can't meet today as the apostles did in Acts 15. Acts 15 is the place God took to show me what apostles do. But that wouldn't be possible, I suppose, today. They gathered with the elders, and when there was a question about church doctrine, and in that case, the question was over circumcision. Do we have to circumcise the Gentiles? That was the issue. Each apostle, oh, Peter spoke, and then Paul and Barnabas spoke. Then James rose up and said he'd listened to everything. He knew the scriptures, the Old Testament. He said, wherefore my sentence is. He rendered the verdict that they were going to go by, and that was they did not have to circumcise the Gentiles. They commanded them to abstain from fornication and from eating eating blood with the meat, things like that. But they did not have to be circumcised. They wrote this out and sent it to all the churches, and then they sent prophets along, New Testament prophets, Silas and Agabus. They sent New Testament prophets to speak the word of instruction to the people as well as to have it in writing. We have the New Testament today to show us these things. That's what apostles do. But I'll tell you what we do today in the New Testament, what apostles do. You're always trying to correct doctrine. In the minds of church members, divorced women try to remarry. You're always sharing scripture. Um, Some of the churches want to approve homosexuals. And you're always sharing Romans 1 and things like that with them. Some of the churches want to call drunkenness a disease. (laughs) That's not a disease because Paul says they that are drunks like this, drunkenness, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is a sin, not a disease. Cancer is a disease. Drunkenness is a sin. And yes, cancer is mentioned in the Bible. Paul once said to Timothy that these old wives' tale will eat as a canker, that you have to be careful about the science and things like that because it eats away at faith. It will eat as thus a canker. Canker is cancer. So yes, they had cancer in those days. Drunkenness is a sin. For it would not be condemned unless it were a sin. They don't condemn cancer. Cancer could be a penalty, but not always. It might not always be a penalty, but it could be a penalty. It could be a plague from God, but not always. There was a time when Paul, who was known for healing, he He was known for healing people. But there was a time he left Miletus at a village. He was sick. He didn't heal Miletus. He left him there. Paul could only heal when God would bring the healing upon him, just like us today. It's all done by God, not by us. Well, Miletus, he left there sick. In one of the scriptures, it tells about it at the end of one of the books of Paul. But along the way, I think most of us 
turn from that thing of wanting God to serve us, to get us what we want. We turn to recognizing we are here to serve God in what he wants. Then some people take it a step further and they do all types of things that were never instructed by God. I know ministers in Africa who really do this. They're trying to set up hospitals. They're trying to set up orphanages. They set up homes for the old people. They set up schools. And then they want us to pay for it. That is not of God. If God sets it up, they're going to have the money to pay for it. I don't see that God ever gives us a work that we have to beg other people to pay for. That's their own idea. So we've got all this going on where as they decide they want to do a work for God and they set out to do a work from God without being told to do a work for God. In Matthew chapter 7, at the day of judgment, Jesus said they will come saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. God, Jesus didn't send them to do the work. God didn't send them to do the work. The work was not authored by God. They tried to do it in their own flesh. Good works in their own flesh. So we have to be really careful about what we do. One thing we learn to do is in the midst of temptations, we learn to pray, God, please don't let me do this. Please keep me from doing this. What are we praying? We're praying exactly what Jesus told us to pray. Thy will be done. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy will be done. We learn to pray that. We learn to come to that in our hearts about our lives on this earth. Thy will be done. Well, it took me a while to come to that position, and I'm sure I still struggle a bit with it. There's something right now even that I have a little struggle about, and I finally just said to God, I know you can keep me from watching this type of television, which happens to be sporting events, if you want to do so. I know you can keep me from watching this. So if it is your will, please keep me from doing it. Please don't let me be destroyed. I don't think I take all that much pleasure in this glory of man and what they do, maybe. But we can deceive ourselves. It frightens me a little bit. I know these fans are irrational at football games. I understand that. But I don't want to be swept away by this dumb football. But I need help. See, you may be that way in your temptation. You may inwardly know something from Scripture, but it is almost overwhelming you. I believe our safety is this. Please help me, God. I've never once prayed that, that God didn't help me. I've often prayed, God help me not to say this, 
and he's always helped me at the time when I want to tell somebody off. He's always shut my mouth. In the midst of the temptation, please, God, help me. Deliver me from evil. These are very scriptural prayers. If you can pray it from your heart, do you really want to be delivered from the temptation? Well, I don't want to go to hell over watching football. But I don't know if it's that serious. See, I've just got a little question here. I really don't know if it's what it is. So I pray, as I was praying very seriously, please help me. Keep me from doing this if it's something that is a, a terrible thing to do. Please help me. Well, you may be in a sin of being tempted by adultery or fornication, which is terribly powerful fleshly sin. And you may just not feel you can avoid it. If you're in that temptation, you really need God's power. God, please help me. Please make a way to escape. Please help me in this. Please Keep me from this evil. Let's look at the prayer that Jesus prayed. How he taught his disciples to pray. Matthew chapter 6, start at verse 5. Jesus said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. When I lived in Clovis, New Mexico, I saw a terrible thing. Across the street from my house, some people who did homeschooling, they lived there. And there, there were these teenage people coming in for homeschooling. One day I looked out the window of the front of my house. About 15 people were standing there in a circle in the yard across the street. They were holding hands. They had their heads bowed they were praying. I was just horrified. They wanted to be seen by other people or they wouldn't have been standing in the front yard holding hands with their head bowed. It's exactly what Jesus described in this scripture. I was absolutely horrified. They could have gone in the backyard and held hands and prayed. They could have prayed inside the house no, they prayed in the front yard because they wanted to be seen of men. I see football players do this all the time. They run on the football field, cross themselves, bow down on their knee. They get down on their knees and put their, close their eyes and put their head in their hand, bowing their head and pray. Why can't they just stand up straight and pray? I do. I never bow down and pray. I do, well, I couldn't get up if I bowed down in the first place. But I can pray to God at any time, anywhere. 
They want to be seen of men as being religious. That's exactly what it is. It's just exactly what Jesus said here in this section of Scripture. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, where they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. I used to play bridge, and we had all these um, covered dish luncheons before we played bridge. There was a man from Church of Christ who they let pray. And he just prayed on and on and on and on and on. Long prayers. When he started praying, he bowed his head. But I didn't bow my head. I watched him. He would bow his head and close his eyes, as did the majority of the people in the room where he was praying. Then, when they had all gotten their eyes closed, he would reach into his pocket and bring out a note card which told him the topics that he wanted to cover in the prayer. He was actually trying to preach a sermon to the people at that bridge center. Almost everybody at that bridge center attended some church. When I would see John coming up to pray, I would get up and go in the restroom and pray to God until John finished praying. This all this stuff's nonsense. I'm just not going to be a part of this. Jesus said, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. All this rosary nonsense all this Catholic nonsense, lighting candles and praying to Mary and doing rosaries, this is horrible stuff. This Catholic church has set up idols in front of their people, and the people bow down to these idols and think it's wonderful. I heard Roger Staubach, the football player, who's so proud of being a Catholic, I heard him get on television one time and talking about a Hail Mary football pass, and he said a rosary. I was horrified. Roger Staubach was stopped, finally, from speaking in public because he was such a heavy politician. He used to be a football announcer after his career for a while, but they stopped him because of his political tendencies he also had these strong religious things that he thought were wonderful but they're really idols that were set up in the catholic church horrible stuff anyway when you pray use not vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. 
After this manner, therefore, pray ye, says Jesus. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I attended Word of Faith for approximately four or five years. I never heard anybody speaking about the will of God being done. Actually, I think they would have been insulted to think that they had to say, Thy will be done, because they were taught to be as gods, claiming scripture over what they wanted in their life. Finding scriptures and claiming scriptures, and sometimes rivals would call them the name it and claim it boys. I never heard a word about the will of God during the years I was in the faith movement. But God taught me that this was a flaw and a great fallacy. Jesus says, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do we really want to be delivered from evil? I believe I do. I know when evil comes on a television program, I turn from it, close my eyes, turn to another channel. I don't want to partake of the evil of this world. Although I do watch football games at this point in time. I'm praying about that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I know temptations come that you think you can't stand. Let's close with one more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. What this tells me is there is no temptation that's allowed to come to us that we are unable to bear, that we are unable to avoid. And a way of escape is made for us by God. You may not see the way of escape, but why don't you just beg God to keep you from doing this thing? To keep you from saying this thing? I think that will work until you're strong enough to avoid the temptation. Also, I do strongly recommend that whatever the area of temptation is, that we keep some scriptures in front of us on the subject where we are being tempted. 
scriptures that show us to go another way. There may be people who don't want to escape the temptation. A lot of people are praying to get to do that thing. Several years ago, a woman contacted me. She had seen my blog, and I think she was in Ireland. She identified herself as being a prophet. She had two children. I don't know whether she had been married to a husband and divorced or what her circumstances were, but she had two children. But she was trying to find fornication mates. She was actually looking for them. And when one man would come to her house, she would tell him it was a sin to commit fornication. And she was trying to get him to commit fornication. Finally, he walked away from her, and she said, where are you going? And he said, you just make me feel so bad when you tell me it's a sin to commit fornication that we are about to commit. And so he left her. This is an incredible story, but this happened. Our Bible teacher at Word of Faith was committing fornication at the same time that he was teaching our Bible class. I found out about it. He was going to bars, and he was so proud that women were choosing him instead of the younger men. And I heard about his girlfriend. We didn't know he had a girlfriend. He had a private life and a public life. His public life at the church was separate from his life at home. Well, we can't have but one life. I went to him and I said, I have heard about this girlfriend, and he beat around the bush. I finally said to him, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything more to do with you. I'm saying that based on 1 Corinthians 5. Paul said, well, we'll read it. Let's turn to it. 1 Corinthians 5, 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. I couldn't go to this man's Bible class after that. I couldn't eat the word of God with this man. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person, says Paul. I said to this teacher, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have any more, anything more to do with you. I can't come to your Bible class anymore with you committing fornication? He said to me, that's right. He didn't care. It was heartbreaking to me. So the question before us now is this. Do you want to follow God and please God, or do you want to follow men and please men.
I hope we want to follow God and please God. For this is a choice we have to make often in this life. We cannot bow down to these idols that are set up at churches. Idols for us to worship. The great of which, one of the great idols today is calling a man reverend. There's no place in the Bible where it calls a man reverend. Paul didn't do, call himself reverend. Peter didn't call himself reverend. They called themselves apostles, which is totally proper, for it identifies the kind of work you can expect to see them do. They did not put themselves up as an idol before the churches, as ministers do today. I would not go to a church where a man called himself reverend. I just wouldn't do it. Neither would I associate with a man who calls himself reverend. I've had several ministers contact me by email, and they start off their letters saying, Reverend so-and-so, and I either just throw their email away or I present the teaching on calling yourself reverend and how they should not do that. I've really never seen anyone turn from this. If we read about the Great Tribulation, we will see all these things came upon them, but they didn't repent. In Second Thessalonians 2, we see what happens to those people that will not repent. I have many times corrected pastors who have taught something that wasn't in the Bible. Sadly, I never saw anyone repent. They never fell down and said, Oh, I'm so sorry I said that. And when I have gone to them with what they have taught that was not in the Bible, I have asked them multiple times, I need to know where that is in the Bible that you taught because I can't find it. And I've heard them say the same thing. I just can't remember where it is in the Bible. I have pushed it a step further by saying, I really need to know where this is in the Bible. So will you please look it up and tell your secretary and have her call me and tell me? And each time they have become angry at me and Ironically, two of them said identically the same thing. Well, all right, it's not in the Bible. They became angry. No one repented. It grieved me for years until God showed me this is Antichrist in the churches. Second Thessalonians 2 is what it is. He showed me they won't repent. We see in the book of Revelation, in the Great Tribulation, they would not repent. Even with the plagues, they didn't repent. They just blasphemed God. And it is blasphemy against God to teach something that is not in the Bible. 
So, do you want to follow God, or do you want to follow man? Each of us have to decide. Do you want to please God, or are you trying to get God to please you? As we mature, hopefully, we come to the position of not my will, but thy will be done. And really mean it. But I do believe time is running out. The wickedness on this earth shows the coming of Jesus. The increase of wickedness is the leaf on the trees that shows spring is coming. The wickedness of the world are as the leaves on the trees showing the wrath of God is coming. Those people who are following God, I believe they will be removed before the great temptation. But I do not believe the people in the churches who are worshiping their idols will be taken out. I think they will be here for the great temptation, great tribulation. I really believe that's true. And I think that's what the scriptures show us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. They love their churches, take pleasure in their churches and their rituals. And because of the pleasure they get in their churches, they deny the word of God. We'll close, we will close with Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, excuse me just a moment. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Back in 1982, God showed me this falling away. This is not going to be people leaving the churches. It's going to be churches leaving the scriptures and setting up other doctrine. And when that happens, this man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. No, Antichrist is not coming through governments of men. Antichrist comes through the churches, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Ruling over the churches with doctrine that's opposite to the doctrines of the Bible. Because remember, the falling away took place. They, these churches fell away from Bible and set up other doctrines which allowed Antichrist into the churches. For the only thing restraining Antichrist and keeping him out were the scriptures, and when they removed portions of the scriptures, Antichrist moved in. And for those who love their churches more than they love the scripture, verses 10 through 12, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, 
that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We have to examine ourselves. Every scripture I've spoken today will be printed for you on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortation, under podcast. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortation. On the right-hand side of the page is the word podcast. Tap on that. Go to today's broadcast, which is entitled, Do You Want to Follow God and Please Him? You can hear this broadcast again if you desire to do so, but you will see all the scriptures that I have spoken today printed for you. Jesus Ministries Exhortations. This is Joan Boney speaking. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today.